Hi there, welcome to Ed's Up, the podcast all about children and those who care for them. I'm Dr. Melody Musgrove. And I'm Dr. Kathy Grace. We're with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. All right, Kathy, today on uh, Ed's Up, we are so happy to have Sarah Zasky, the author of the book, uh, Octung Baby. And what a fascinating book. You know, we uh, at the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning are always interested in how people are parenting and what are the latest trends and comparing the practices of uh, parents in the United States or in different parts of the country to how parents in other parts of the world are parenting. So uh, it's really fascinating to hear her adventure in Germany. So, uh, you know, what do you think are kind of the trends that we've seen come and go over the years, things that were really popular at one time, like back in the 50s and 60s that have have really changed uh, with how parents are, are practicing today? Well, I think that there is a growing body of research that uh, tells us a lot about American parents. And uh, now I believe that there is a new term that they're now assigning to parents called the lawnmowering parent. Well, you well I've heard of the helicopter parent, but I haven't heard of the lawnmower parent. What is that? The lawnmowering parent is the one who makes sure that there is absolutely no challenge or barrier for that child to encounter. They just mow right over. So therefore, the children have a pretty easy life in terms of their schooling, not so much so when they get ready to uh, join the adult community of this culture, but uh, helicopter parents, as you remember, were kind of those that twirled around and, and from a, a distance at least, but made sure that they could intervene if necessary. Well, uh, I think lawnmower parents are more aggressive in that they just wipe out the challenges before the child even gets there, so therefore the child has no skill development on how to solve problems or how to uh, cope with maybe disappointments that they would experience as they grow up into the real world. So I think that what we're going to hear right now may be uh, contrary somewhat to what the new terms are in this country. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you for being with us. Um, So, Sarah, if you'd take just a second and kind of introduce yourself and tell us about your background. Sure. I am a former journalist, and I was a freelance writer while I lived in Germany. My husband is a scientist, and and that's how we ended up in Germany for about six and a half years. And I wrote an article about the differences I found between American and German parenting, and that has since turned into the book. So you and your husband were living in uh, Oregon. You had a little girl, Sophie, and then he took a position in Germany. Is that right? That's right. So we arrived there when Sophia was two and a half, and my son Ozzy was born there. So just to kick us off, Sarah, would you tell us kind of how you came up with the name for your book, Octune Baby? Sure. So I arrived in Germany with not a lot of German language skills, uh, but I did know the word Octung from the U2 album, and I knew it meant (laughs) watch out or attention. So I found myself often um, saying that in Germany as my kids did things I thought were dangerous, especially uh, one time they were uh, riding through the streets on their bikes awfully fast on the sidewalk, and so far ahead of me, I was running after them and I yelled, Achtung, kids! And, you know, they looked at me like, I'm not sure what's wrong with her. (laughs) But they did eventually stop. And so when I went to to write the book, um, I I chose that because 
my fear often took the form of me saying Achtung, um, which is actually kind of inappropriate. German parents don't say that that often. They say Vorsicht, which is much softer, more like, you know, be careful or watch ahead of you. Um, so it was to highlight, I think, um, my Americanness in Germany. Interesting. So, you know, I think most Americans, Sarah, would say that they want to raise, you know, strong, resilient, independent children. Yet in the book, you say that our parenting norms don't really support that outcome. What is so different about the parenting styles of German parents in contrast to those of parents in the U.S.? Well, in order to to raise kids who are independent, you actually have to give them the chance to be independent. I mean, that, that sounds obvious, but it's actually very hard for us Americans because we're so focused on safety that we think we have to watch our kids all the time. Uh, but ger- what German parents do that we do not do is they teach their kids to do things away from them, um, particularly to walk to school by themselves, to go play in a playground by themselves, um, they also teach them to use things that we would consider dangerous for young kids, like um, to use a knife to cut food um, at, at even an age of four or five. Wow. Or um, they actually teach kids to light matches instead of saying, don't ever play with them. So interesting. Uh, you know, since you mentioned uh, walking to school and the playground, uh, I think in the book you said that, uh, that they really don't drive their children to school there. Here we're accustomed to having the parent pickup line that is around the block and is just kind of a fixture of, uh, you know, of schools here in the U.S. And, and there that they expect children to walk or bike to school. Is that right? Absolutely. In fact, I was specifically discouraged from a driving uh, my child to school, mainly because it would cause a traffic jam. They don't really have the area for it. Um, but the idea of children walking to school in, in first, second grade is really when they begin, uh, is to give the kids a chance to learn independence and learn their way through the neighborhood. And it's done quite deliberately. The school even uh, teaches the kids a course in traffic safety at the end of first grade. And then after that, the parents were supposed to let the kids start to try it. Hmm. You know, over the last 20 years, I'd say in the U.S., we've really seen early childhood education and I guess all of education become much more focused and, and on academic achievement. And we push children, it seems, harder and harder, younger and younger. Yet American children still trail behind a number of other industrialized nations, including Germany, in many areas. So what are they doing in Germany that we're not doing here? Are they starting them to school even earlier or pushing even harder? Uh, Are they being more aggressive at teaching children academic skills? What, What are they doing differently? Well, I actually saw the exact opposite, which I thought was surprising. You know, Germany is the land that invented kindergarten, uh, but their kindergarten yes. is all play all the time. It's not, there are no worksheets or early reading skills being deliberately taught. The idea behind that is that it's best for kids at the young ages to learn social skills and self-control and to learn how to engage their curiosity, as, and those are the basic skills they need for starting Uh, elementary school. And this carried on a little bit even into elementary school. There's a lot of emphasis on play and on project learning and self-directed learning. And I think what this does is it gives the kids a very good foundation for when school gets a lot harder, which it does in Germany, about, Mm -hmm. you know, fourth or fifth grade. And I, I saw it in my own kids. It does really give them a calmness in their approach to school and 
uh, more self-assuredness that uh, they're pursuing something that's good for them and it's not being forced upon them. Hmm. And you know, in the book, you pointed out that there are some activities that they're engaged in in, you know, in kindergarten and in daycare even that we would consider to be very unusual for children of that age. Could you talk about some of the things that children do, some of the activities they're engaged in in school and in daycare that we would consider to be really kind of um, unusual? Sure. I, I think one of the most shocking things to Americans is that um, my daughter and many German kids have an overnight at their uh, kita, which is another word for daycare center or preschool, um, at age three and four. And it's, it's an optional activity, but it, the idea is that they get a chance to be away from mom and dad, and isn't that exciting, <laughs> and uh, be with their friends and maybe even go to a camp. And surprisingly, my daughter at that age handled it quite well, though the next day she did sleep for 10 hours. <laughs> um, another interesting experiment that Arkita did uh, was something called Toy Free Time, in which they took away all the finished toys for a period of six weeks to three months. And the point of that activity was um, actually to help uh, deal with addiction later in life because kids often mm. use toys to co- to cover over their feelings or to compensate um, for something else. Like say if they're having a, a fight with a child, another child, instead of resolving it, they, they might take a toy and go play in the corner by themselves. But if you don't have any of those finished toys, you're forced to actually deal with those conflicts. And you have to rely on your creativity and on each other for play. And did you see, did, you know, did your daughter develop you know, more and other children kind of more creativity and problem-solving skills through that? Do you feel that that, that was really a successful strategy? Yes, absolutely. Um, and especially for my son, I saw a big change in him in almost the, almost the opposite way. He always needed the other kids to tell him what to do and to um, play, play with toys and to have other ideas for to to make his creativity happen. And through the experience, he developed a really big connection with the outdoors because the outdoors offers all sorts of interesting things of itself, you know, and, and sticks and stones can become money or, you know, a sword, or there's a lot of imagination there just to be offered from the outside. So I think that time, and it's a limited time, it's not forever. It opens up some doors for kids to other ideas. Mm. So you mentioned outdoors, and that was one of the things that you really pointed out in the book is that there's a real emphasis on spending time outside. I think you said the saying is uh, there's no bad weather, but bad clothing for the weather or something like that, that they spend some time outside every day and how important fresh air is. Can you talk about the ways that they promoted that and and kind of that culture of, of spending time outside? Well, it's definitely promoted at the preschools and kindergartens, as well as in elementary school. The kids are outside every day. And we were told, you know, make sure they have two of everything. And I was introduced to the necessity of rain pants and boots and gloves and hats. And the kids were really out there, even when it's, you know, drizzly and yucky. Um, And they don't seem to mind. And to to this day, we are now in northern Idaho. My kids don't mind bad weather. In fact, they, they're almost eager to go out in it when it's snowy and sleeting. Well, does that translate, you know, here in the U.S. and particularly in Mississippi, there's such a high rate of obesity and heart disease and things like that. Does that translate into different health outcomes uh, for children in Germany? 
Oh, absolutely. I think there's been a lot of studies that the more time children spend outside, the healthier they are. Mm. And it's also, you know, simple common sense. And this used to be an American value as well, that kids should go outside every day. You, You just feel better if you spend a little bit of time outside. And I've noticed that in my kids, if they've been cooped up all day, I'm like, oh, just go out, spend a few minutes outside, go shovel the walk. And they come in and they just feel physically better and emotionally better. A very interesting point, I thought, in the book, especially for us you know, here uh, in Mississippi and, and across the country, is that you said spanking or corporal punishment in Germany is illegal, uh, whether it's at home or at school. You know, I think a lot of folks here would say, oh, my gosh, that's going to translate into a whole bunch of ill-mannered, undisciplined kids who don't follow the rules and don't know how to follow the law. Did, how did you see that? How did you see that work out in Germany? Well, um, at Arkita, it, they did not take harsh punishment in any manner, like even, you know, strong words are getting sent to the principal. The way they often dealt with children's problems is to, to talk about it and to bring the kids aside and say, you know, well, how do you think that makes the other kid feel? Or what would you do if, if uh, she was you? And mm-hmm. that encourages more of a deeper sense of empathy and wanting to get along with other children. For young, <laughs> for young kids, that's huge. And so just in that kind of social interaction, they start to learn how to get along with people better. And I think that's a little bit deeper than uh, of good behavior you get in children who actually want to behave well and not behave well because they're afraid of being punished. And so parents, at, you said it's, it's illegal, so parents do not spank their children. What other discipline, disciplinary tactics do they use other than you said talking about, you know, about things? But um, it's, it sounds like maybe there's less of an emphasis on punishment and more on you know, on relationships and and rewards, or or how does that work? Oh, absolutely. And you know, the this giving of a lot of independence is also um, predicated on you know accountability. So the an easy punishment or, or natural consequence is that they lose the ability to do something they did before. Like, um, for instance, if your child is walking back and forth from school, and one day she decides to go spend a half an hour in the ice cream shop, <laughs> then they lose that privilege for a while. And that, that, that's a pretty, pretty big motivator to behave. Interesting. Another really big differentiation is um, you said that, that sex education is taught in the schools from a very early age and, and parents cannot opt out of it. Uh, for religious reasons or any other reason, I think that would be really astonishing to most American parents uh, because we hear the argument that teaching children about sex and contraception just makes them more curious and gives them permission to be promiscuous. Is there a big problem in Germany with like teen pregnancy and sexually transmitted diseases and so forth? Um, No, there's not. In fact, the statistics from Germany are fairly compelling in the other direction. Um, First of all, there's no greater promiscuity among teenagers um, than there is in the U.S. The statistics are almost exactly the same. But the ones that are very compelling is that there's a much lower rate of teen pregnancy, much lower rate of teen abortion, and a lower rate of HIV incidence. And those, for me as a parent... You know, whatever I may think about the morality of what my child does, those huge consequences, I would like to save them from that. Mm-hmm. We can deal with the morality issue on a different on a different basis. Yeah, and, and I think you said even in like first and second grade that they are, you know, that it, when I said earlier, it really begins very early in childhood. Is that right? 
Yeah, so it's age appropriate, of course. Mm-hmm. So like sure. the, the very early grades is just, um, I mean, even in preschool, they talk about, you know, protecting themselves, what where you can be touched and, um, you know, how to say no and that kind of thing. And so in the first and second grade, they're learning the basics of where babies come from mm-hmm. because kids are curious. <laughs> and they often, they often operate on a question basis. If the kids ask, they answer. Um, but always in mind with, you know, what's appropriate for what age they are. Well, I think it sounds like we here in the U.S. operate a lot based on fear. Um, and that uh, I think you said that the parents there in Germany, yes, they they're afraid, right? I mean, they they also fear for their children's safety, just like just like we do. So, how do they overcome that? <laughs> well, I think first is you know they have a very strong value on on Selbstständigkeit or self reliance and teaching their kids independence. Um, but they, I I hear them put the fear immediately into context, which we do not do here mm-hmm. so much in America. I hear in America often that, oh, you know, there's so many ki- people wanting to kidnap your kids. But that's just frankly not true. Mm-hmm. It's very, very rare that a kid is kidnapped by a stranger. We hear about missing kids a lot, but that's often because of a custody dispute, which is a different thing and a different kind of problem. Um, so if we could, you know, place those boundaries on the fear that maybe we could give our kids some more independence. Because the flip side of it is if we never give them a chance to be independent, um, they don't learn it. And I think we're seeing, seeing some results um, of that kind of over-carefulness when our kids turn 18. There's a, a lot of reports of higher rates of anxiety and depression among young adults who have been thrown out into the world with not a lot of practice um, in running their own lives. Well, and you know, I love this emphasis on social-emotional skills that you talked about throughout the book because um, we here at the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning have also you know, been emphasizing that, that, um, that there are these what some call soft skills that are so important to success in life. There's a lot of research that, you know, that points that out, and, and it sounds like the, the German parents are doing a really nice job of try, and, and educators of trying to mm-hmm. you know, train children in those kinds of skills and relationships and getting along with others. Is that right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, absolutely. It's, I've heard it articulated to me very consciously, especially from teachers. Um, and at the very young ages, that kids need to learn how to deal with their frustration and with their emotions and um, need to learn how to concentrate and stick with something. And that's much easier to do if the kid chooses what they want to learn about, which is something they emphasized Mm. at that age as well. Well, one last thing, Sarah, you pointed out in the book that, um, you know, the United States is still the only nation to not ratify the uh, UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. And that, you know, the reason that that hasn't passed in the U.S. is because it's really more about protecting the rights of the parents to control their children than actually protecting the rights of the child. And I think that is such an important point to make. And, and you do such a nice job through the book of, of you know, sharing how uh, parents in Germany really facilitate and protect the rights of their children, that they teach children. I think you said to, to say it's okay to say no to the adults and that that protects right. them when they're out there in the public and uh, are there other ways that parents there can kind of empower their children so that they're better prepared to protect themselves from the dangers that that may exist out there in the world (laughs) well you mentioned one of the big ones you know being able to say no to adults 
And a child who is confident is much less likely to become a victim to a sexual predator because it's usually that person is not usually somebody who's behind a bush waiting to grab a kid. Mm -hmm. It's usually somebody they know, and perhaps the parent has no idea. So you need the kid to have their own resilience and their own ability uh, to stand up for themselves. Um, other ways that, that parents in Germany uh, give their kids uh, more resilience, I think, is, is by being very open and honest with them about a variety of things that we find difficult, I think, to talk about. Um, for instance, death. Uh, my daughter actually had a death project in school in Germany, which was very interesting. Yeah. But the whole, the whole idea is that this is a huge part of life, and children need to know the the facts about it or the the things we can't discuss. You know, nobody really knows what happens when we die. Um, but just bringing it up and talking with them about it, they're going to experience death at, a, at some point in their life, and they may have already, already. And they need to know that they can feel sad and they can grieve, but they, they will still survive that sadness. And I think that builds a lot of resilience as well. Mm. Fascinating. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me again. Wow, Kathy, that was really compelling, you know, looking at the differences in parenting in the United States versus Germany. And you know, I think all parents would say that they want their children to be you know, resilient and independent. But you know, Sarah really pointed out that some of the things that we do don't promote independence, that we actually are, are hindering our children's development in terms of independence. What do you think? Well, I think part of it is that we have had ingrained in us as children and now as parents that safety is critical and that we have to be very careful that we don't hurt ourselves or that a parent is negligent perhaps if they are uh, a little less restrictive in some of the activities that they allow their child to do. And this well-intended motives is just that we want to keep them safe. Uh, Many years ago when I was in England and I was visiting some of the British infant schools, I was taken by the fact that the children could, if you would, change buildings that these children were three, four, five, they could change buildings without being accompanied by adults because this was all in an open courtyard and there was a wall around the the big facility, but they had a lot more freedom to uh, move about and to discover different aspects of the environment that the teachers had set up for them. But they were still uh, a little more independent, even at that age, than what we see in many cases in our country. You know, Kathy, you and I, of course, both lived and worked in D.C., and during my time there, I remember a couple of uh, parents from Maryland that were arrested for practicing what they called free-range parenting. They allowed their children to walk home from a park, and some neighbors called the Department of Human Services and the police department and said that they were being negligent, and they were actually arrested. Now, they were acquitted on the charges, but again, I think that just speaks to this real heightened awareness that we have in our country that you know we're supposed to be hovering over our children every moment and protecting them, as you said, from every harm, maybe that lawnmower parenting. And I, I think you know, Sarah's book and, and this interview kind of point out that if we really want our, to trust our children to grow up to be independent, we need to help them be independent and do things independently as children. So uh, I think this is a good kind of wake-up call for all of us. Uh, Octune baby. And I, I would add that if we're going to look at environments in neighborhoods, then we certainly have to predicate all this with the fact that the neighborhood is safe 
Absolutely. And that there is adequate protection for any family, family members. And we're talking about children of a certain age. We're not talking about toddlers and that sort of thing. Uh, And I think that back to where we are as families in this country, are we looking at the community of families so that as a community of families, we ensure that we have safe spaces and that we have opportunities for our children to interact and engage and not be fearful of some terrible, violent act that would come their way. So I think that we have to look at the differences in some of the countries that like in Germany and what their responses are to community safety and what their expectations are and what is not necessarily the case maybe over here in some of our communities. And so I think it also has to do somewhat with social issues in this country. Yeah, well, that's a really good point because there's no question that in some communities, allowing children to roam freely could be very dangerous, and there's no question about that. So, you know, I think the point is that the parents in Germany are doing this very purposefully. They've taught their children how to get about in the community, how to be safe, uh, and then they allow them to go shorter distances and then gradually, you know, work up to longer distances. So, um, you know, I definitely think that we have to be conscious of the fact that some communities might not be safe. But again, not being fearful and not teaching our children that there's some kind of a boogie monster behind every corner that's about to grab our children and take them, but help them to learn to speak up for themselves, to be safe, and to teach them to be independent and resilient. I think that's a good goal that we should also ask our teachers in schools across this country to adopt as well. We like to end each podcast with a poem, and today's poem is from www.poets.org, and it's Mother Doesn't Want a Dog by Judith Viorst. Mother doesn't want a dog. Mother says they smell and never sit when you say sit or even when you yell. And when you come home late at night and there is ice and snow, you have to go back out because the dog has to go. Mother doesn't want a dog. Mother says they shed and always let the strangers in and bark at friends instead and do disgraceful things on rugs and track mud on the floor and flop upon your bed at night and snore their doggy snore. Mother doesn't want a dog. She's making a mistake because more than a dog, I think she will not want this snake. So that is Mother Doesn't Want a Dog from www.poets.org. Please give your children the gift of poetry. We appreciate your joining us for this episode of Ed's Up. We're always interested in stories about children and those who care for them. If you'd like to share your story, email us at edsup at olemiss.edu. Until next time, bye-bye. Ed's Up is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.